Steelers, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Now, here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today, episode 61 on the Richie Evans edition. That's right. Some of you guys might be thinking, oh, Richie Evans, shouting out the Modified fam. But some of you might be saying, who the heck is Richie Evans? Well, he was a Whelan Modified Tour great. Nine-time champion on the Modified Tour. He is a real one. He should probably be in the Hall of Fame. I'll let my boy Kyle Souza do the talking for that. But um, there's also a book about him. I believe it's just called Richie. Um, I think David Smith and Alan Kavana on their 61st episode of Positive Regression talked about it at length before the show kind of kicked into high gear. And I, I was kind of captivated by that conversation. So I would highly encourage you guys to read up about Richie Evans, that orange number 61 car on the Modified Tour. I've seen some of his cars in person. Of course, he unfortunately has passed away, long since passed away. But he's one of, if not the goats when it comes to Modifieds. He's in the same breath as Ted Christopher and Mike Stefanik and Doug Kobe and Justin Bonsing are also getting in that shortlist as well. So episode 61, the Richie Evans edition. This was a week of change in NASCAR, and I'm going to tell you guys why that was a very, very good thing. Plus, we have a lot of racing to catch up on from both Atlanta and Martinsville Speedway. I was actually on site. It was a very unique opportunity for me, and I will tell you guys how that opportunity came about what entailed going through the security screening process, getting into the track, and how the race was from my perspective. But before we start any of that, if you're new to the podcast, you don't even know what's coming. But if you're not new to the podcast, you already know. Started out with a good old-fashioned... Before we talk Atlanta, before we talk Martinsville, I want to go over the changes that have happened in the sport of NASCAR in the past five days, probably when you're listening to this, six, seven day span, and why it's a really, really good thing. I debated kind of talking about these changes as they happen through each race because some stuff happened on Sunday, some stuff happened on Wednesday, what have you. But I figured we'd just break it up into its own opening segment because it is it is that important, frankly. So why I think this is so important to talk about is because the progressiveness of this sport, which has been historically regressive, is very astounding to me. And it'd be one thing if this happened over decades of change and reform and and what have you, but this all happened, what I'm about to tell you, in four days. Not four weeks, not four months, not four years, four days. So let's start out with Sunday at Atlanta. NASCAR president Steve Phelps gets on the radio as cars are stopped on the front stretch, and he addresses competitors, saying, Our sport must do better. Our country must do better. We must stand up against racial injustice. You've heard it by now. Kirk Price, who is a black official for NASCAR and an Army veteran, he kneels during the national anthem and salutes the flag as well. Bubba Wallace wears a t-shirt that says, I can't breathe. Black Lives Matter. 
The drivers band together and release a video that was about a minute and a half saying, I will listen and learn Black Lives Matter. And that by itself was like hitting you like a ton of bricks in the face. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. NASCAR is doing this. Wow. This is this is pretty big. Then Monday comes around. Bubba Wallace goes on CNN with Don Lemon. I was actually watching that because my girlfriend, she loves CNN, but she fell asleep. And then I woke her up to watch it, but then she fell asleep again. That's an aside. Anyways, so Bubba goes on CNN. Um, He gets called Bubba Watson, which was hilariously predictable. And Don ends up bringing up the Confederate flag. And Bubba calls for NASCAR to ban the Confederate flag at the racetrack because it has no place there. And it, it makes a certain demographic feel unwelcome. That's Monday. Late Monday night. Tuesday, NASCAR announces a partnership with You Can Play, which supports LBGTQ rights. And that was something that really took me by surprise because, to my knowledge at least, I had never seen the sanctioning body openly publicize and support gay rights. And this is coming from somebody who has gay members in his family, has a best friend who's who's gay. Um, I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> like, th- this is awesome. Sweet. Um, and Ryan Hines, who I want to have on the podcast eventually, is an openly gay public relations representative and content manager for Stuart Haas Racing. And he, quote, tweeted the announcement, basically said, I can say a lot of things, but I've said them before and I'll say them again. All I'm going to say right now is thank you. And I... I was literally just shocked to see that NASCAR was combining with that organization to to help gay rights, LGBTQ, and, and celebrate Pride Month. I was like, what? I'm After the day that we've had? Okay, I'm here for it. Let's keep it going. So also on Tuesday night, Bubba Wallace reveals a paint scheme that he will run for Wednesday on his number 43 Richard Petty Motorsports Chevrolet, which said Black Lives Matter on it. And on the hood, it's a picture of a black fist and a white fist intertwined. It says compassion, love, and understanding. I was like, we're getting a Black Lives Matter car? Okay, let's keep the ball rolling, people. And then Wednesday, NASCAR removes guidelines in the rule book, which required people to stand for the national anthem. So they removed those, allowing for peaceful protests. And a couple hours after that, before the Martinsville race went green, the Confederate flag was banned from all its events and properties. And that was kind of the last domino to fall and the biggest one for sure. And I didn't say this in my article, which I'm going to talk about in a minute here, but it actually took me by surprise how many mainstream media outlets and media personalities and people in general we're talking about the banning of the Confederate flag because I knew it was there and I, was, I wasn't I was surprised that they banned it and I was happy they did. But I was surprised at the amount of people that found it so shocking. And I think that may be because I've been in a bubble with NASCAR. I've seen it all the time. I kind of became desensitized to it as bad as that is to say. But when you see MSNBC, Fox, um, CBS, CNN, all of these different outlets talking about how big of a deal it is and everybody in ESPN saying, I never thought I'd see this in my lifetime. I'm like, have I really been that far removed from things or am I that too closely entrenched in things that everybody is so shocked by this? But 
that's just kind of an aside. I was happy that that happened, obviously. Like, all of these things, especially the last one, this is huge, people. Like, this is a big, big deal. And it happens so damn quick. And the way that I'm feeling is prideful and happy. And I can't even imagine what people like Bubba Wallace, Kirk Price, Brianna Daniels, the, the female tire changer, Raja Karuth here from the D.C. area, all African-American people that work in the sport, whether you're a driver, a crew member, a pit crew member, an executive, a PR rep. I, I can't even imagine what these people are feeling, these black people in the NASCAR community, because for years, not openly, not verbally, at least not all the time. Again, I don't pretend to know because I haven't lived like this, but they've been oppressed. And they've been racially profiled by people, whether that's, you know, consciously with people speaking directly to them or whether that's them just seeing the Confederate flag everywhere they go. The fact that that will not be there anymore, the fact that NASCAR is taking steps to eradicate those things that have plagued their history for for decades upon decades, and the fact that they've done all of these things that I mentioned that are helping that specific community and every community that has felt sheltered and felt like the door was closed to them to come to the racetrack or watch it on television, those doors are now open, as Marty Smith said. Um, and I, I've never done this before, but I'm going to do something different. I wrote a column on Front Stretch entitled Change, A Beautiful Thing for NASCAR. It was my bi-weekly Fire on Fridays column. And I'm going to read it to you guys. I'm sure you guys have probably read it by now. So if you have, then feel free to fast forward. But, And I don't know how this is going to go. But we'll um, we'll see how this goes. So I'm just going to read it to you because I think it hopefully encapsulates a lot of the things that I were feeling or was feeling as I was at Martinsville and driving to and from and in the days that preceded it and followed it. So here we go. Being an NASCAR fan is weird. It's a bit hard sometimes, too. Constantly explaining that it's not just cars driven by good old boys running around in circles. It's not something any average Joe can do. It's not only set and popular in the South. It's not racist. It's not what you think it is. It's different than what it once was. But who am I to say? I'm a white male who has never experienced racism due to the color of my skin in my life and probably never will. That's a privilege. My white privilege something I've actively thought about, realized, and and verbalized in recent weeks. I've defended NASCAR until I've been blue in the face. I've screamed, cried over this, trying to get people to understand why I love it so much. The people I've met at the track are of diverse backgrounds and interests. These are people that I work, that work in the industry, have for decades, and know what the sport is all about. It's not a racist sport. It's an inclusive one. That's why it hurts me when other people paint an incorrect picture of it for outsiders, likely pushing them further from even entertaining the idea of watching or attending an event. I've done all that to defend a sport that owes me nothing. After all, wouldn't you want to share something that brings you so much joy? And to think, black people have been doing this for centuries for the right to be equal to other human beings. White privilege recognized again. NASCAR, to its credit, has tried to dispel the false narrative for the better part of a decade. 
from creating the drive to diversity program to attempting to institute a trade in policy for the Confederate flag and everything in between. You can't say it hasn't tried. But on the flip side, it hasn't done itself any favors either. It's hard to get away from the good old Southern boys narrative when, frankly, a good portion of the field consists of athletes born south of the Mason-Dixon line who have openly supported politicians that alienate a group of individuals while still seeing blatant racism in the form of the rebel flag at every track across the country. As the saying goes, quote, the only thing black about NASCAR is the pavement and the tires, end quote. George Floyd's killing sparked conversation and change, and for the first time in my adult life, NASCAR was at the forefront of having those talks and implementing those proposals. On Sunday, NASCAR President Steve Phelps addressed competitors inside their cars before the Cup Series green flag dropped at Atlanta Motor Speedway, saying, quote, The time is now to listen, to understand, and to stand against racism and racial injustice. We ask our drivers and all our fans to join in this mission to take a moment of reflection, to acknowledge that we must do better as a sport, and join us as we now pause and take a moment to listen. And listen, they did. That address was followed by a video montage featuring several drivers. It was titled, I Will Listen and Learn, hashtag Black Lives Matter. During the national anthem, NASCAR official Kirk Price, a former U.S. Army veteran, knelt before saluting the flag while remaining on one knee. I come from humble beginnings, and I believe in humble protesting, he told the Charlotte Observer. Bubba Wallace wore a shirt reading, quote, I can't breathe, and hashtag Black Lives Matter on Pitt Road. On Monday, June 8th, Wallace appeared on CNN with Don Lemon, calling for NASCAR to ban the Confederate flag from the racetrack. Quote, no one should feel uncomfortable when they come to a NASCAR race. Time for a change. It's a thick line we cannot cross anymore. The next day, to kick off Pride Month, NASCAR announced a partnership with You Can Play, an LGBTQ plus organization, quote, dedicated to ensuring equality, respect, and safety for all athletes without regard to sexual orientation and or gender identity, end quote. Ryan Hines, an openly gay and public relations representative and content creator for Stuart Haas Racing, weighed in on the sanctioning body's vow for inclusion. He said, thank you, NASCAR. Later that day, Wallace and Richard Petty Motorsports revealed a Black Lives Matter paint scheme for Martinsville Speedway. The closest track to the sport's first black driver and NASCAR Hall of Famer Wendell Scott's hometown of Danville, Virginia. Wednesday, NASCAR removed guidelines saying team members must stand for the national anthem, allowing for peaceful protests during pre-race ceremonies. A few hours later, the Confederate flag was banned by NASCAR. Quote, the presence of the Confederate flag at NASCAR events runs contrary to our commitment to providing a welcoming and inclusive environment for all fans, our competitors, and our industry. Bringing people together around a love for racing and the community that it creates is what makes our fans and sports special. The display of the Confederate flag will be prohibited from all NASCAR events and properties. Change. What a beautiful thing. Denouncing racial injustice and the oppression towards African Americans was something, admittedly, I never thought I'd see NASCAR do. Neither was openly support the gay community. Neither was letting the words Black Lives Matter be adorned on a car. Neither was letting anybody kneel during the national anthem. And neither was banning the Confederate flag. It's feasible for the aforementioned changes to occur over years of working within communities and walking the walk instead of talking the talk. These changes all happened in four days. The time is always right to do what is right. And NASCAR did what was right. 
It was the most progressive week ever for the historically retrograde sport. With roots entrenched with the rebel flag and overt racism, the importance of the actions taken by the sanctioning body cannot be overstated. I'm too young to call it the biggest week in NASCAR history, but it damn sure is the biggest week for the sport since I've been alive. I've had the privilege of being one of six print reporters on site at Martinsville Speedway on Wednesday for the first ever night race at NASCAR's oldest venue. It was set to be a historic day on track, and I was psyched to be a small part of it. But at 4.45 p.m., it became a historic day off track. If the actions before weren't enough to show you NASCAR was taking action, saying goodbye to the Confederate flag is a hell of a starting point. Enforcing that ban will be a different beast, but for now, small victories go a long way. Of course, some fans will feel alienated and will vow to never return to the track. But as the popular sentiment has been this week towards those who don't support the banning of the flag and are planning on leaving the sport because of it, good riddance. Looking at you, Ray Cicerelli. As embarrassing as it may sound, I found myself wiping tears from my face during the 500 lap race. I couldn't exactly pinpoint why. Maybe it was the pandemic. Maybe it was the current state our country is in. Maybe it was a plethora of things that were weighing on my mind. I don't know. So I started jotting down some notes. I didn't want to forget why I was feeling the way I was. For years, all I've wanted was for my family and friends to see the sport the way I did. For all its glory, the sights, sounds, sensation of speed, personality, storylines, intricacies, choreography, passion, it's all there to see. But people couldn't see past the flag, an unwelcome sign of racism. I didn't fully understand why they couldn't until I started listening. I don't care who you voted for in 2016, and I don't care who you'll vote for later this November. But as I've listened to others of late, I now please ask you to listen to me. Pardon my French, but this shit is important. I'm not a minority, but I've tried to put myself in the shoes of those who've been racially oppressed. I've had conversations with some of my black friends, and admittedly, there's not many of them. White privilege recognized again as to why they're feeling the way they are. Those who feel attacked at NASCAR's flag ban, if you're ready to stop watching a sport altogether because of a flag that repeatedly slammed the door to an entire race of humanity, you were never a fan in the first place. NASCAR is and always will be better without you. You are no longer welcome. Dale Earnhardt listened, understood, and changed. Why can't you? The on-track product isn't changing. Neither are the cars, the tracks, the sounds, the smells, everything that makes NASCAR what it is is not changing. Don't get it twisted. This is far from political. This is about basic equality and human rights for a systematically oppressed group of people. If you can't part with your flag for that, well, sayonara. The Confederate flag is offensive to an entire race. It was time to get rid of it. It doesn't matter how many fans or dollars you'll lose. It was simply time. Although a different scenario, I found myself trying to compare how blacks feel on a personal level. Being Jewish, you think I'd feel comfortable with the swastika being anywhere, especially somewhere I'm paying to be entertained with something I love, like the racetrack? That's hate. That's racism. The Confederate flag is hate. The Confederate flag is racism. This week, Wallace has opened others' eyes and ears to the problem. That's beautiful. Truly beautiful. He called out his fellow drivers on the sport's most popular podcast with the sport's most prominent figure, Dale Earnhardt Jr., to not remain silent. And they didn't. They, too, listened. The top NASCAR brass, notably Phelps and Executive Vice President and Chief Racing Development Officer Steve O'Donnell, have been right alongside Wallace, communicating regularly. 
Wallace has driven the conversation, and NASCAR has hit the accelerator on it. Quote, Kudos to NASCAR. Kudos to Bubba for bringing it up and using his platform for something good, 2018 champion Joey Logano said. That's the most important thing. We can win races. I say this all the time. Winning a championship is nice, but what is it? It's an empty trophy. It's an empty cup. That's what it is. If you do nothing with it, it's really pointless at the end of the day. So kudos to Wallace for really stepping up and being a leader and not just a race car driver. Now, besides an apt Doc Hudson quote from Cars, Logano is right. Leaders listen and act. That's what's happening. I've never been ashamed to be a NASCAR fan, but I've always resented the fact that I couldn't fully display my pride for it. It didn't feel right to do so knowing how others felt. Those tears that rolled down my face in the press box were happy ones. NASCAR was becoming something I could be proud to represent to everybody, regardless of how you look, where you're from, or what you believe in, right in front of my eyes. Phelps's quote on September 20th, 2018, the day he was announced as NASCAR's next president, struck a chord with me then and resonates 10 times over now. Quote, I am confident that the strong team of leaders here at NASCAR and across the industry will accelerate the necessary changes to grow the sport and engage our passionate fans, he said. Hopefully Phelps and company continue to deliver on their promises and make NASCAR a welcoming place for all. In four days, necessary changes were made to grow the sport for years to come. Not just because it was the right thing to do, but because it was the only thing to do. That's my column. And I apologize if that was long-winded, which it was, because on paper I thought that it would be five or so minutes, and that wound up being like ten. But I wanted you guys to hear that from me, because reading it for me is one thing, and hearing it is another thing. And I'm getting a little emotional now talking about it, too, because besides the the racism portion of it, you guys know me. Like, NASCAR is my life. This is... (laughs) It's all I do. It's all I want to do for the rest of my life. And I've been very proud to be a fan, but I haven't been able to fully be proud because always in the back of my mind, I know that there was that overt slash covert racism that was associated with the sport. And the fact that those things are not going to happen anymore and they're going away, that makes me happy. And as Bubba's car said, Compassion, love, understanding. That's all they're asking for. Give and take. It's not Republicans versus Democrats. It's a human race, and we're all one. And I want you guys to hear from some of the drivers on the subject and what's gone on in the past couple weeks. Not all of them, um, but this is what we have available from drivers that have been on Zooms, whether it's post-race, midweek, what have you. So in order... Here's Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, Ryan Blaney, and Jimmy Johnson, who talked about wound up making the video that was played pre-race at Atlanta Motor Speedway. You know, for for me, it's it's um, you know, there's just there's just some there's something just has to change, and you know, I think when you look at what happened in in Minnesota, you know, it's just it's just it's disgraceful to to everyone, and you know, to to be able to. Um, have conversations about things. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely a, a person that wants to hear a plan that, that has actions included in it and just, you know, try to support each other and do the things that, that we can do to, to try to help our communities and, and, you know, help the conversations because there's so much that everyone doesn't understand of, of what we need to do and how we need to do it. But I can tell you that we need change. And, 
you know, the actions and, you know, you know, from that, from that, um, from that event in, in, in Minnesota, or it's just unbelievable that we have, we, we sit and, and watch these things happen. Um, and it's just, it's just really confusing. Um, it's, it's, you know, it makes you confused, mad, you know, not know what to do, where to start. And, and, you know, that's just where, where a lot of guys, um, you know, talked about it and, and, and we started. So, you know, I think it's, um, it's definitely a, a step, uh, but there's a lot of work to be done. Um, you know, I, I think I've, I've spoken about it before. I, I don't really care for that, um, you know, for that flag. And, and you know, I, I come from Michigan and I understand it might mean different things to different people where I come from. It, it doesn't mean anything good. Um, but then, you know, I, I, I think I have, some empathy towards those that it does mean something um, positive to. Um, you know, I, I can't put myself in their shoes because I've never been there. But uh, you know, in general, I'm a I'm a rights guy, and I like when people have rights to do what they want to do. But it's, it's ultimately not my decision, and I support the fact that it's NASCAR's decision to make. You know, to start off saying I, I'm really proud of what he's doing, um, the effort he's putting in, and wanting to you know kind of lead the charge. Um, you know, and I stand behind him. A lot of guys stand behind him on, in the NASCAR, not only the drivers, but a lot of teams as well, crew members. Um, I'm very proud of him for that. His, the car he ran tonight was was great. I, I love that they were able to do that and they came up with that idea. Um, so, you know, as far as being an activist goes, um, I mean, not not as much as he is now. I mean, he's always he always has been. I mean, you know, he and I, it's it's nothing. We've all we've been really best best friends for a long time, and um, you know, the way he and I have always thought growing up is just everyone's equal. You know, we always treat everyone equal and no matter where you come from, what, what color you are, um, you treat people with respect and, uh, you know, you don't judge people, but, um, I feel like he's taken a, a larger, uh, stand against, uh, you know, just, just encouraging the cause, um, right now and, um, and just wanting equality and, and, um, uh, understanding. So, um, I feel like he always has been one a little bit, uh, but but now, I mean, in these times, I think it's great that he's embracing it and and leading the charge. Um, I'm, I'm really proud, and we'll we'll stand behind him 100. percent Yeah, I was involved in help putting it together, and I was just really proud of the uh, the drivers that got involved. I'm obviously proud of NASCAR and um, what they did, but you know, it's been a personal journey on a much deeper level this week for me to to listen and learn and as a lot of us drivers started chatting about um, the week and the experience, and a lot of this was led by Bubba, really have to give him a ton of credit, including Ty Dillon, uh, the accountability that those two really put on the garage area, uh, put on me, uh, not directly on me, but I could just see, it just made, made, made a difference. And, and I think that resonated with a lot of people. And, um, you know, we, I spent a lot of time listening and learning this week, and that message rang clear with, many of my other uh, driver friends and, and we kind of found that message and that, that was the message that made it into the video. We have a big group chat that all the drivers are on and that's how NASCAR communicates uh, to, the, to us at the, on the race weekends during rain delays, any type of messaging updates to the schedule. So uh, a conversation started in there that I joined and um, you know definitely ha had a calling and, and wanted to, it, as I was in the process of finding my voice, you know, those, those conversations uh, made sense to uh, a lot of the other drivers, and we were very unified in that, in that thought process. I thank you guys for indulging me. 
You don't have to agree with me, but all I'm asking you to do is listen. That's what anybody and everybody is asking everybody to do. Listen, love, have compassion, and understand. We'll be better for it. Oh, God, I'm sorry, guys. Stuff just keeps getting heavier every single episode. So let's get some pep in our step. Let's keep it moving. Let's talk some racing. Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 from Atlanta Motor Speedway. I know as you're listening to this, it's probably like a week ago. About a week ago, a week ago. But we got to talk about it. Kevin Harvick dominates and wins his third career race at Atlanta, giving the threes out the window as a salute to Dale Earnhardt. This place, even though he won his first race back in 2001, almost 20 years ago, still holds a special meaning for Kevin. For for me, it, you know, this this place is is uh, is pretty special, just because of the fact that that this is where I got my first win, and you know, for so for for me coming back here, it brings back a lot of memories. It brings back a lot of a lot of things that we didn't really know how to celebrate on that particular day. And, you know, I think as, as you look at being able to go back and, and win another race here and celebrate the life of Dale Earnhardt, everything that he meant to our sport in the right way each time that we're able to come here is, is obviously pretty special for me. And to be able to, um, you know, win at Atlanta is, is um, you know, a lot of fun for me because it's, it's one, of my, one of my favorite racetracks. So it was a battle today. Uh, car didn't, didn't, really, didn't really handle like we wanted it to most of the day. They made some great adjustments at the, at the end of the race and, and were able to, uh, you know, to get the car right, right um, you know, when it counted there at the end. So got the track position that we needed, uh, you know, to get the inside lane on the restart and, and the car actually turned and, and we were able to take the lead from Kyle and, and get the track position and, and then just start clicking off laps. So uh, really proud of everybody on our Bushlight board. Happy birthday to Rodney Childers, huh? <laughs> Got to win a race on his birthday. He doesn't really know the last time that happened to him in his career, but a dominant day and a second win of the year. Good birthday present, I'd say. Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate that. Uh, it's been a pretty incredible day for sure. Turned 44 with the four car and ended up in victory lane, so that's pretty neat. But um, I'm getting old too. That's not that's not good. But um, overall, you know, we had a, a great car. Um, you know, at the beginning of the race, the, the car seemed really good, and we were able to get up through there and, and um, was, was looking okay, and uh, the car was too tight, and the track was changing really, really fast. And, um, you know, we, we just made some bad adjustments and couldn't keep up with the racetrack and finally had to kind of uh, take our lumps and, and do some bigger swings at things. And that's, that's really what happened last year. You know, you look back at the race last year, we had a – we had a great car then and, and we, we just started getting behind every pit stop and, you know, we weren't making big enough adjustments and got way too tight toward the end of the race and, and wasn't able to capitalize. So, um, you know, this time we were bound to determine that that, that wasn't going to happen and we just tried to, to work real hard and, and make a little bigger swings than what we normally would and, and just try to keep up with the racetrack. Hey, Rodney, congrats on the one and happy birthday. I assume that you've raced on your birthday before. Have you ever won? You know, I, I'm really not sure, um, you know, probably have, you know, back when I raced, um, you know, there were so many races back then and so many classes that you would run in go-karts and stuff. I'm sure there, there's, there's bound to have been a race at some point that I've won on my birthday. I, I just, you know, none of them uh, stay in your mind like a, a big cup race does. So, 
uh, you know, this is definitely a big deal. Um, you know, I was listening to Kevin talk a little bit and, you know, this place is, is special, you know, and um, if you're a crew chief for Kevin Harvick and you, you come to Atlanta and you don't run good, then um, you're definitely not doing your job. So uh, he, he knows how to get around here. Um, you know, when we went to this package, I was worried it was going to take some of that away from him. But, you know, the last two years, we've had good cars, we've led laps and, and uh, able to capitalize today. So, um, you know, hopefully uh, they, they won't put any new pavement on this place and we can keep it going for a while. Thank you. Kyle Busch wound up coming home in second place and Joe Gibbs Racing showed some speed on the mile and a half for kind of the first time all year long for 500 straight miles. Are they heading in the right direction? Uh, no, I wouldn't say, uh, entirely. Um, <clears throat> Atlanta's kind of its own beast. Well, Atlanta and Homestead are, you know, pretty significant high downforce tracks. And, um, you know, we tend to run well here. Truex definitely tends to run well here. Um, he did last year and I think Denny's won here a couple times. So it's a place that we should have good results at. And, um, you know, it's nice to come out of here with a good solid run, run up front all day long and, um, you know, have a good, a good outing so hopefully we can keep that momentum rolling third was martin truex jr he actually won the first two stages which were also the first two playoff points that he's earned this season but he fell off later yeah no we definitely uh we lost something we um you know we were really strong the first two two stages and i was really happy with the car and uh we just got too tight there um you know the start of stage three and uh, made some adjustments on the pit stop. It just wasn't enough. So uh, I don't know if the track changed or something changed in our car or what, but, um, you know, we'll go back and look and figure it out, but just way too tight the last two runs to, to be able to mount a challenge and uh, ultimately cost us third at, you know, at the, um, I guess the last 25, 30 laps of the race, I just tried to drive through the push and ended up uh, just pretty much smoking the front tires off it and I uh, ended up losing second. So that was unfortunate, but I figured with 20 or so to go, I had to just, you know, lay it all out on the line, see if I could do anything. And, you know, unfortunately come up short. Something tells me that that good momentum in Atlanta may have translated to Martinsville. Hmm. I don't know. Just a hunch. We'll get to that in a minute. This race in Atlanta, though, it was it was pretty lackluster. Not going to really sugarcoat it. There was some more chatter about repaving the place because of the racing wasn't that good. Who knows? But for now, just shorten it. I mean, 500 miles at Atlanta, as I tweeted, that ain't it, chief. That really just ain't it. And Andrew Carlin texted me. The chief actually called him and affirmed that it was not it. So, look, shorten the races. You don't have to repave it yet. I get that the weepers are a problem when it rains, but it's more so the length and the package that were the problems. But Kevin Harvick don't care. He loves Atlanta, especially with Stuart Haas Racing. I think he's now led over 1,000 laps at Atlanta uh, since 2016 or maybe 2014 when he joined SHR. I don't know. Point is, he's bad fast around that joint, and he showed it once more. So we waited a couple days, and we went to Martinsville, the Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief 500 at Martinsville Speedway. I was there. I did not think I was going to be there. So let me kind of run down for you guys how this thing happened for me. So I got an email on Monday mid-morning while I'm at a local farm stand in Millsboro, Delaware, Um, and I thought that it was sent to the wrong person by accident. NASCAR said, hey, fill out these forms for Martinsville, and I was like, what? (laughs) Uh, Did you mean to send this to someone else? Uh, I didn't say that, but I was like, "Uh, okay, because they addressed me by name in the email. 
So I filled out a HIPAA waiver, filled out a COVID-19 waiver, um, read NASCAR's rules, regulations, and protocols. Um, the NMPA, National Motorsports Press Association, didn't even tell me that I was going, and I didn't think that I would get picked to go. But I got picked, I packed, and I went. <laughs> so it was really cool. Um, and I was just feeling really grateful, like as cliche as that is, that I was able to be there because here's the thing that happened too. I looked at the forecast like right after, and of course there was rain in the forecast for like the entire freaking day. Um, and then I saw Jim Utter tweet late on Tuesday night as I was getting ready to go that if the race was rained out on Wednesday, they wouldn't rant, they wouldn't run it on Thursday. They would just come back another week or scrap the whole thing altogether. And I was like, okay. If I'm going to really drive 10 hours round trip for absolutely nothing, like I need a reward or something, <laughs> but thankfully the rain held off and we saw a historic race because NASCAR oldest track is Martinsville. And it's the first time that we had a night race under the lights during the week there. I just, I really wish fans could be there. So let, let, let's backtrack a little bit though. So I get up on Wednesday and I drive over there. I arrived around like 3:30, walked around the property for a little bit. Um, cause it was like a ghost town. It was, it was really spooky to be honest. I got checked on the quote unquote list. They said, go ahead, go ahead and get screened. So went to the screening station, showed them my hard card. They digitally thermometized. I've been saying that that's my new favorite word. Thermometized my forehead. I did not have a fever. I was 97.4 degrees Fahrenheit. I passed. They gave me an E on my sticker because I was essential I parked, I walked to the press box, and I was good. And like I mentioned, the rain actually held off. We started on time, not just got the halfway. We ran all 500 laps, baby. And I was super stoked. And it started raining like right after the checkered flag flew, of course. So the race itself was pretty good. New tire compound, no practice, no qualifying, no real idea what to expect. So you had a lot, and I mean a lot, of comers and goers. Denny Hamlin fell back like a rock and stayed in the back. Kyle Busch fell back not as bad as Denny, but pretty bad and stayed in the back all race long. Ryan Blaney fell back like a rock, got lapped by his teammate on the first run. He ended up rebounding, which we'll talk about. Same with Brad Keselowski. Eric Amarola fell back too. You had Michael McDowell in the top 10, Chris Buescher in the top 10, Bubba Wallace in the top 10. While Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Brad Keselowski, Ryan Blaney, all these guys are getting lapped in the 30s. Martinsville, baby. <laughs> New tire compounds. Um, higher horsepower, lower downforce. Yes, sir. Give it to me all damn day. But as they say, the cream does eventually rise to the top. So that's what happened. Um, and as the race went on, it became clear that it was Martin Truex Jr.'s race to lose. And he did not lose it. An up and down day, but he wound up coming from the back twice because he had some bad luck early on in the race with bad handling. Then he had a commitment line violation, which James Small took the blame for, started at the rear, worked his way back up, pretty much dominated the last 250 laps, the final stage at Martinsville. Um, but man, did he have the car to do so. He started off his career on short tracks 0 for 80. 0 for 80! And now he's 4 for 6 on them, including back-to-back -back wins at Martinsville. That's a pretty nice turnaround, huh? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I grew up on short tracks, and uh, that's what got me to where I'm at. And, you know, once, won a lot of, a 
all pretty much won all short tracks in the mm -hmm. Bush Series, and then went to the Cup Series and couldn't do anything on them. So uh, it's just been a learning process, you know, to figure them out. These tracks are really tough, and uh, you know, I think for our team, um, you know, the last five years or so, really just continuing to uh, to work on the little things that it takes to get around these places, and um, you know, continuing to uh, work on those things. So. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been really good for us, and uh, you know, really excited, obviously, to, to get our first win of the season. This win was bigger than just a normal one for Martin for a bunch of reasons. Specifically, getting James Small his first ever win atop the pit box. Here's the driver on the similarities between his now crew chief James Small and his then crew chief Cole Pern. Yeah, you know, I think it's um, honestly he's really similar to Cole. I think that you know they've been together for so long. Um, they go back a long time ago to, uh, you know, working together at race teams years ago before either one of them were crew chiefs, they were engineers. So they've been uh, close for a long time and have similar styles and uh, personalities as well. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, <clears throat> for me, my relationship with James and the way we interact has been real similar to how I had had a uh, relationship with Cole. And that's because we've all worked together before. And that's really made uh, the transition easy for me. And it's made me, um, easily have confidence in his abilities and what he can do. And, uh, you know, definitely nice to get his first win because, you know, everybody's been asking when it's going to happen. And, um, you know, Cole leaving his big shoes to fill, there's no question. But, um, you know, he's been doing a, doing a really, really good job. He's been really making smart decisions. He's prepared. He's a great leader. Our guys really look up to him. And, um, you know, I, I feel like he hasn't missed missed anything. I feel like he's done an awesome job. So, one little hiccup tonight on uh, on the pitting situation, but other than that, it's um, it's been pretty smooth sailing. So proud of him to get that first one out of the way, and um, you know, just to have that confidence of you know he knows he can do it now, and and now we just uh, hopefully can just keep that momentum going. Let's hear the dulcet tones of Mr. Small, Melbourne, Australia's finest, on rebounding from the back to the front a couple times in what wound up being probably the biggest night of his professional career. Yeah, it was it was an up and down night, you know. Uh, first run of the race there, um, we started off pretty good, and then a light switch just flicked, and uh, I think that was the point we had no rubber left in the tires, uh, and we just kind of get you know floating backwards. We we came in that comp caution at uh, lap sixty and tenth, and um, you know made some adjustments, but it was more just the, with the green track and everything. The, the tires were just shot. There was no wear pins left or anything, so on. And then, you know, we were actually pretty competitive. I uh, finished that first stage in fourth. And then uh, we came in there after that short run to the end. And, uh, you know, I made a blunder, I admit it. I, I called Martin too late and uh, he crossed the commitment line. And, and that's where, you know, our, our race took a little bit of a turn. Um, we uh, ended up, you know, we, we sustained a little bit of damage in that short run there. And, um, you know, we were able to make some repairs once we went all the way to the back. But that next run, we were, we were absolutely terrible. You know, we almost went down a lap. Um, car wasn't great you know we made a small change and it was clearly in the wrong direction and um then you know undid that made a few more other changes the guys on pit road did an unbelievable job tonight you know we've made some changes there lately and they've been working really hard and they had a solid night and you know we had a few good stops there some inside lane restarts and you know just you know the pace we had in that last stage was uh really good and we were able to get back up to the front so couldn't be happier for everybody that was an amazing effort and this is a pretty big deal for him. As you can tell, a lot, lot of weight lifted off his shoulders. So I wanted to see what his mates back home in Australia thought about the win. I mean, it was 2 p.m. when the chicken flag flew. And I'm sure his, his mates had to drink a couple of Fosters and some Coopers, maybe throw some shrimp on the barbie and say, Oi, mate, James, congrats on the win, bud. 
Hey, James, congrats on the victory. It's about 2 p.m. in Australia right now. Um, any friends or family that you think were watching, and what do you think their reaction was? Uh, no, I, I know everybody's watching down there these days. So um, they're lucky enough since, you know, the break um, from COVID, it's now actually back on Fox Sports in Australia because there's no, no other sport really on. So, um, so, you know, they watch it on the NASCAR app all the time and on Fox Sports and they're all listening on the radio stuff. So I, I think I have about 250 messages on my phone from people all around the world right now. And a lot of them are from down there. So, you know, they're big supporters of mine. Um, I'm very lucky to have them and, you know, they help me to get where I am today. So, yeah. Second question is kind of a two-parter. You mentioned that, I mean, you admitted it's been a challenging year and it's a big relief. Did you have any self-doubts at any point? And also, what has Martin Truex's confidence in you meant to you throughout this time? Um, I have, it's a good question. He's been very, you know, very supportive of me. After Bristol, you know, I thought to myself, you know, it, that, that was a tough weekend for us. You know, we got back to fifth and then we got taken out. But, you know, that was probably one of our worst weekends of the year in terms of just trying to hit the setup. You know, we had issues at Charlotte too, and uh, which we know what they were. And, you know, we fought back there as well. But, you know, everybody on the team is, you know, stuck behind me, including Martin. And, uh, you know, they've been big supporters and they have faith that, you know, if we just keep doing what we're doing, we're going to bring, you know, fast cars to the track every week. So, um, you know, I'm really thankful for, you know, everybody just being a huge supporter, including all, you know, all the main people at JGR. They've all been in my corner and, um, you know, I'm lucky to be surrounded by such great people. Thank you. Appreciate it. Sorry for the Australian accent. I just had to do it. You know me. I mentioned the comers and goers the first couple stages. Ryan Blaney was one of them. Got lapped early, flicked off his teammate for doing so. <laughs> And he rallied all the way back for a runner-up finish. That's a solid night for driver 12. Yeah, it was a very, uh, very interesting race. Um, we started off really bad. Uh, I mean, we went from leading – or we went from starting on the pole to being a lap down in 60 laps. That's uh, that's tough to do, and we found a way to do that. And, um, uh, you know, so we already dug ourselves a hole early and um, pitted. And I, actually, after the first, first pit stop, we got our car a lot better. Um a lot better. I think just the green racetrack didn't really go well with what we had or, or something, or we really wore our tires out. I had to run the top a lot. I was getting past, so I don't think that helped. Um, but after that, I felt more competitive. Um, we got the lucky dog there um, right before the uh, first stage end. And uh, after that, we drove all the way up to second, and that second stage on that long run, we had a great long run car. Um, and so that was, that was great. And, uh, you know, being able to get the lead there, um, the start of the third stage uh, and just kind of biding our time and just taking care of our stuff. And um, caution came out and then we got a penalty on pit road. Um, and that set us all the way back again uh, with not a lot of laps to go. I mean, we had 170 to go and the last restart, we restarted ninth and um, the 19 just got away from me and, and I couldn't, couldn't run him down. By the time I got second, he was gone and my stuff was a little worn out having to pass a lot of cars. And, um, but overall really proud of the effort. From the 12 group, I mean, from where we started to where we ended, uh, I can't be, you know, I can always be happier with it, you know, winning the race, but um, we made huge gains today. And that just shows, you know, Atlanta was the same way. We didn't start off great, but we got a lot better um, very quickly. And uh, that just shows what this team can do. So I'm really proud of Todd Gordon and everybody on this group. Brad Keselowski was one of the Penske cars that fell back like a rock as well with Blaney. But he was able to rebound two from a lap down early on and finish on the podium 
in third place. Yeah, a decent finish for us. We ended up third. Uh, I felt like we had a pretty good car. Um, you know, had a, a rough start there with – I started in the outside lane, and uh, I guess the tires with the track not having any rubber when you started in the outside lane just completely blistered and corded. Uh, and so we lost almost two laps the first run. Thought something was broken, didn't know what was going on, and finally got new tires put on lap 60. And, uh, of course, then we were lapped down. And by the time we were able to get our lap back and, and all that, we were at the end of stage two and running, uh, you know, 10th or 11th. And, unfortunately, didn't get any stage points, but rallied to, uh, to get up to the lead there with, you know, about 150 to go. And just wasn't quite good enough to hold off the 19. He was super, super strong and uh, proved, uh, you know, why he's so good. He just kept passing cars. and. Just flying, pretty impressive. Um, but uh, all in all, I was really proud. You know, it's the first time that I've been here with Jeremy Bowens, and this is very much a track that you know you get a lot of reps with the crew chief, and you just keep iterating and finding small little things to to get to the front and to, to be the best. And to come here our first time together and run third, I, I think is a, a pretty good mark for us. Weeknight short track racing with this package at Martinsville with myself in attendance. Selfishly, give me that all day. Time for our brief race preview at Homestead Miami Speedway this weekend. All three national series are in action. One cup race, two Xfinity races, and a truck race all in southern Florida. ARCA East will also return to action at Toledo Speedway in Ohio. Um, there's rain in the forecast for Miami. I haven't checked Toledo, but just chill. Thank, thanks for working with us at Martinsville. I just please, like, don't. Don't mess with us anymore, okay? We're trying our best here to give the American people some entertainment, and you're trying to just mess it all up. So chill out. Thank you. Tires wear out on Homestead surface just like Atlanta, if not worse, and it's going to be so damn hot. <laughs> Drivers have called this stretch of 500 miles at Atlanta, 500 laps at Martinsville, and then 400 miles at Homestead. They've called it the most grueling stretch of races that they've competing in their careers. Alex Bowman said so, and so did Brad Keselowski, and those are two pretty fit guys, so I'll believe them. Dale Jr. is competing in the Xfinity race on Saturday, and then there's a Dash for Cash Xfinity race on Sunday. Um, Cup Series, obviously, will be in action as well. I'm going to look at Tyler Reddick. He's kind of my dark horse one to watch. He's going to hit the wall, for sure. But in the last two years at Xfinity, he's won the race at Homestead Miami Speedway, and subsequently the championship too so my eyes will be on driver eight tyler reddick for rcr he's going to be ripping the top i mean the big wigs are going to be up there competing for wins as usual you'll have your hendrick motorsports for some um, we'll see if william byron can string together a couple races of a good finish he tied his best finish of the season at martinsville with eighth but the fact that that's his best finish of the year when chase is winning races bowman's winning races jimmy's knocking on the door He's probably going to have uh, have maybe a little bit of a hot seat soon. I know that may be a little premature to say, but he's definitely got to be feeling a little pressure from the outside. Um, and also, there's going to be people in attendance at the track. 1,000 military personnel will be dispersed socially distanced at Homestead Miami Speedway. And they also announced, NASCAR being they, that at Talladega next weekend, there's going to be 5,000 fans, most likely locally in the Talladega, Alabama surrounding area, that will be allowed to be at the race and watch it in person. Here's NASCAR's Daryl Wolf explaining why they're going to allow fans slow but steady. Better safe than sorry. 
We are making and have made an announcement this afternoon, and it's a really important announcement. Uh, I think everyone on this call and certainly the people around this sport recognize what race fans mean to our sport. I've always said I think we have the best fans in all sports. They're knowledgeable, passionate, loyal, and they're the reason we show up and race every week. Um, they're kind of the energy that really fuels the sport uh, week in and week out, month by month, and for the entire year. But plain and simple, uh, today's announcement is about we want race fans back at our racetracks. And based on all of our interactions that we've done so far, consumer research, uh, independent conversations with ticket holders, overwhelmingly our race fans want to come back to the racetracks. Having said that, um, we also clearly understand that there is a immense responsibility here that comes with this exercise. Uh, we want to be very methodical, um, very measured, and we want to be cautious as we go through this. The great news for us is that when we think about the return to racing initiative that we had earlier this year at Darlington, which led to Charlotte and the races since then through Atlanta this past weekend, uh, between John, who's on the call today, and Steve O'Donnell and the entire team that led that initiative, we, we have some great, a great foundation and some great learnings that we can build off of as we kind of go through this next phase of bringing back the sport, again, very slowly, very cautiously, and very methodically. All while, every step of the way, we have been in lockstep with uh, local and state health officials. Um, constant dialogue with public officials on the local, state, and federal level to make sure that we um, not only take advice from medical experts, but they understand what we're trying to accomplish. And that dialogue, like I said, even back to the return to racing initiative, but obviously now as we gradually and slowly bring back some race attendees at our venues, that dialogue has been constant and frequent. Uh, this initial phase, this initial plan does just that. It's a cautious, conservative approach. We feel confident in our plan, but also doesn't mean that we won't also have additional learnings and we will adapt our plan going forward. Be sure to check out all the action on the Fox family of networks Saturday and Sunday, hopefully not Monday or Tuesday. <laughs> and also, of course, you can catch the Arkham Menard Series East on NBC Sports Track Pass. You used to need a subscription for it, but, but I believe now it will be free for everybody to watch. So be sure to check out all the racing action this weekend across the country. Look nuts of the week! Cue that funky music, white boy. Lee Leslie, who is the crew chief of the 51 Rick Ware Racing Car, was fined $25,000, assessed an L1 penalty, and they were docked 10 points for failing inspection five times pre-race at Martinsville. Alan Gustafson and Adam Stevens were both fined $10,000 for loose lug nuts. Jeff Mendering, who's Brandon Jones's crew chief, Ryan Fugel, who's Christian Eckes's, and Greg Eli, who's Timmy Hills, have all been fined five and two and a half thousand dollars respectively for loose lug nuts in Xfinity and trucks. You guys see that scary moment from Austin Dillon at Martinsville? He is a-okay after getting pulled from his car late. He had some heat exhaustion and the crush panels were knocked out I think in the first 10 laps or so, so he was inhaling fumes all race long, but got some IVs, was treated and released from the infield care center. He should be good to go for Homestead. North Carolina judge granted a temporary order to close the short track of Ace Speedway. They had a couple gatherings of a lot of people for races, and 
They called it a peaceful protest. I highly encourage you guys to read what Matt, Re Matt Weaver wrote about it. Um, he caught a lot of flack, but as he says, nobody's more positive when it comes to short track racing than he is. So he has the play and the pull and the wherewithal to shoot people straight because that's what journalists do. Mike Snyder will now be running full-time for RSS and RCR this season. So he'll be running every single race in Xfinity from here on out. Good for a clout nine, homie. Jason Beam of Beam Designs, who designed some helmets for NASCAR drivers, he sent out some, well, not so inclusive tweets, and they were pretty insensitive. So Ryan Blaney, Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Busch, and Joey Logano have been among the drivers to drop him and uh, leave his services. So it looks like Greg Stumpf and Off-Axis Paint are going to be getting some business, <laughs> for sure. Well, um, and also, I just want to touch on Ray Cicerelli, who I didn't write down, but he was kind of the focus of a lot of attention this week. But um, Dustin Albino of Front Stretch, I actually got an exclusive interview with him, so you can check out what he has to say over on FrontStretch.com. So did Toby Christie as well. They actually posted their quote-unquote exclusives that weren't really that exclusive for either um, at the same time. Also didn't even know that he was from Maryland. He's from Ellicott City, which is like 45 minutes away from me, but... I was like, damn, man, come on. Don't don't bring the shame to Maryland. Come on, Ray. Crazy. And he was he was backtracking his words real, real fast in those articles. So who knows, man? There's just uh, there's a lot of misinformation and, and jumping to conclusions out there. And I think Mr. Cicerelli was a victim of, of both of those things. But he doesn't really seem like a good person either. That'll wrap things up for episode 61 of Victory Lane 2.0. Do me a favor, if you like what you heard, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, subscribe. We are everywhere that you get your podcasts, including SoundCloud. If you listen to this, please text me, because like I don't know like if people actually listen. I look at the analytics, but I'm also just like, okay, maybe people didn't get this far. So look, if you're listening to this podcast, next time I see you at the track, I will buy you something. How about that? If, that, if you're on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, or iTunes... I don't care where, if you're listening, text me. And if you don't have my number, tweet me. And if you don't have a Twitter, send me some snail mail. Okay? Okay. I want to thank you guys again for um, letting me open up early on. I know that there was nobody to really stop me, so I don't know why I'm thanking you. But if you listened, thank you. If you read my column, thank you. And um, if you supported me on my journey to Martinsville and my coverage, thank you. Um, I hope that one day I'll make it big. And we can just laugh and joke about the little itty-bitty podcast that I had and how you were one of the supporters of it. So, guys, I hope you have a great weekend. I hope you enjoy the racing. Still stay safe out there. Keep washing those hands. Do the right thing. Have compassion, love, and understanding. And everybody is going to be A-OK. -okay. This world is going to be a better place. All right? All right. Talk to you on the flip side.